0: She, Mella, funny fella, running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head, and nobody answered is Bruce. This is John.
1: And this Blix.
0: <laughs>
2: if you're talking like that, there must be pirates about, are there? I already Darry, you about
1: Darry, <laughs> scary scary, you, Skellywags.
0: Yes, dog.
2: In fringe where there are pirates, and we're not just talking about the fringe pirates. We're talking about the various kinds of pirates that you could find on many of worlds where you might be traveling. Alternates parallels, modern, and in the past. Lix, what do you know about the history of piracy?
1: There's all kinds of periods, but are we talking about classic pirates, the ones that we, we imagine when we see uh, Pirates of the Caribbean?
2: Well, that would be like, what, the 18, the 1900s?
1: Uh, yeah, I could go back, I guess you could go back as far as maybe the 1700s in a stretch.
2: Because piracy actually goes all the way back to the beginning of civilization. The Vikings were pirates. That's true. we call them Vikings, but they would travel over to other lands and pillage their seacoasts and bring back their women and do other things. And that's just exactly what pirates do, right?
1: That's true. And there's, there's all different kinds of names for pirates. And, and they're actually, some of them are, are quite specific. They're not completely interchangeable. Like a, a buccaneer is a certain kind of pirate. Uh, a corsair is a certain type of pirate.
2: So when we run into pirates, what
1: should we expect? If you're talking about the classic pirate that everybody imagines, you know, they're out at sea and they're robbing other vessels for their booty, as it were, they're not going to be nice people. And they're going to be actually going to be quite strategic. Some of them are probably going to be ex-sailors for a military, or maybe they've been doing this all their life. Um, You can expect that if a pirate ship attacks you, they're going to be very ruthless, and they're going to be very good at what they do. They would have been wiped out otherwise. Well, they're going to be
2: ruthless because their paycheck is in your pocket.
1: That's correct, and their food—not <laughs> just their paycheck, but what they eat, their salt, new sails, maybe your vessel.
0: Maybe hey, some new crew. You never know.
2: Right, because pirates are very egalitarian about recruiting, aren't they?
1: Generally, yes.
2: Because uh, my understanding is is that the first thing that a pirate vessel does once it's defeated the crew of another pirate vessel is to say, "Okay, how many you want to join up?" Quit this loser thing where you get preyed on all the time. Join the pirate life and be the ones in charge.
1: Generally, they would only take enough to fill their crew up. You know what I mean? Like, if everybody said, oh, no, of course, we want to live, we'll join you. They would only take certain members. Every person they take on is a mouth they have to feed.
0: And also, they were smart, and they would pick ships they knew they could take on. Most pirates were in sloops. The movie version with Aero or Johnny Depp, where they're in these ships with big guns and stuff, well... That really didn't happen. Um, for most parts, they were in sloops with guns and they would go after smaller vessels and try to stay within the big ships with big guns.
2: Uh, well, John, maybe you should describe what a sloop
0: is. Well, it's a small sailboat. So it usually it's a single mast. And usually are quick. Most of them are, are fairly fast, which is one of the main reasons why pirates love them. Because they can get in and out and outrun most ships out there. A, a big merchant ship, you just you know, slog along, just come right up on them and threaten to the, the, <laughs> haul them and seek them right then there if they want to. For the most part, if they're going to open guns, they're going to shoot at your sails and demast you.
2: So how many crew would you expect there to be on such a sloop?
0: Some pirates got as many as like 50 people in one of those small boats, which is kind of crowded, but, you know, you needed that to just be able to take on some ships. Others could deal with less than 20 or 30 sometimes. If you have
2: a ship like that, a small sloop that's carrying all those men, then that would mean they'd have to have a base nearby, right? That's correct.
1: You wouldn't have, you really would not encounter these open-sea pirates. Like when I was younger, I used to imagine these, you know, this romantic image of these pirates sailing across the seas, and when they ran into a ship, they took it. That's probably not even close to reality, because you would have a ship that was close to a base. These pirates would attack, and then that way if they started to lose, they'd have somewhere to run, and they knew the waters better than anyone, anyone coming through there. So they would know how to run it into areas where they could, you know, other ships couldn't follow them because they'd run aground if they did, you know, on a, on a sand barge, or, uh, which would also make La Slupa another good uh, source for pirating because it can get through a uh, shower water than, a, say, a big bulky ship
2: a cargo ship of some kind is going to rest lower in the water and it's not going to be as fast because it's carrying all that cargo.
0: They're going to go after the stuff that's worth grabbing. The gold, maybe the gold.
2: But it could also be furs. It could be wine. Anything that's, you know, worth selling. Rum. There's a reason why pirates love rum so much. And medicine.
0: Because, <laughs> well, pirates do like to party and carouse and sometimes you need medicine for certain afflictions you may get when you party but you also get hurt a lot as a pirate, right? Oh, yeah, that too, yes.
1: Yeah. Salt is not something that is terribly easy to get in ancient times. You actually have to have a means of either mining it or desalinating water to get it, and salt's essential to our survival. We need salt in our foods uh, in order to survive. Salt shipments were a target for piracy. Like a lot of times when, the, when you hear the term spice, when people were after spice, a lot of times that was salt.
2: I'd never heard of that. I would think that being in the ocean, they would have more than enough salt available, but I can uh-huh. certainly see why that would be a good material
1: to ship. You have to desalinate seawater, and it's, it's a process. It takes a long time. It's, it's actually not that easy to do.
0: Yeah, in the Bahamas, they would actually have large, they would set pools, evaporation pools, and just evaporate down to the salt.
1: That takes an extensive period of time.
0: Yeah, and, and, but that's the only way to do it, really.
1: A lot of times, salt is a big resource. I think it gets overlooked because I never hear about it anywhere. Uh, I actually read a book on the the history of salt, which was very interesting, went into all that, which is where I'm getting that from.
2: But a lot of spices, which were very light, were also very, very valuable. One person once quoted me that in the Middle Ages, black pepper was worth its weight in gold. Oh, yeah. Um, Things that were rare, especially spices from the Orient or places like that, they were worth a lot. They were easily taken and, and carried off. They were usually sealed in good containers so that pirates would know just by looking at the
0: container it was in what was valuable what wasn't. But the classic age actually is from 17th to 18th century. As you were mentioning, like
2: a pirate wants to be near a base, so the ideal place for a pirate would be a, like a big string of islands, as we have in the Caribbean or in Indonesia and in Micronesia, which is like a thousand islands, and millions of islands. I forget what it is.
0: Or the Barbary Coast in, in Africa. That one, the entire continental a- area, that they hide in.
1: And oddly enough, where do our pirates come from? Those locations.
0: You were saying that most of these
2: pirates would be small in size, but there's times when pirates would actually be exactly what the traditional thing was. And that would be when they had access to a lot of money and a lot of support, let's say from a government. Johnny, you were telling me about pirates like that, but they didn't go by that name.
0: They're privateers. England's at war with France. Therefore, we're going to have a little commerce rating on the French ships. But don't take any British ships. And don't take any Spanish ships because we're friends with them right now. Or now we're at war with Spain. Now you can take Spanish ships. But don't take French. We're friends with them now.
2: So it was confusing. You had to have good communication if you were a privateer,
0: right? You had letters of mark which would pretty much state who you're supposed to attack and so forth. And that's how Blackbeard got in trouble. He basically would attack just about anybody, and then he would sort of like take up the. Oh, yeah, but I thought they were. Because I thought they were French. Or Spanish, whatever.
2: And those letters of mark would also give them safe port in a number of different colonial-type ports, right?
0: That's correct, otherwise you'd go like Tortuga, sell your booty, which gives you, like, crap. It's a pirate place, so not many merchants go to Tortuga, but a lot of them go to Port Royal or other places in the Bahamas, so you have to be able to go someplace civilized to sell your booty.
1: Gold was so popular because taking gold, you don't have to exchange it for anything because you, you have it, it's gold. It trades anywhere. It trades anywhere, right. And the, the point is that you know they could take spice, which could be handy if they had a buyer. But And I'm sure there are plenty of nations, that poorer nations, that wanted a good deal that would deal with pirates. But then they would have to deal with uh, rival governments or you know, people trying to crack down on piracy, people who are being afflicted by pirates greatly.
0: You can always sell the gold any place.
1: Right, right,
0: right.
2: Gold is just only one of the precious metals that were available. There were also tea services made out of silver yeah. and, of course, women's uh, jewelry or even men's jewelry, those and pearls and other kinds of things like that.
0: It depends on what area of the world you're in in the Caribbean, they were basically going after Aztec gold. Gold had been melted down from the Aztec hordes and later the Incan hordes and then shipped off to Spain. That's what the pirates were going after. So in the Caribbean, it was gold. If you go someplace like, uh, say, the Barbary Coast, there'd probably be more spices and and things. So it really depends on the area where you're at, what the pirates are going after.
2: All right, so if you were a fringeworthy explorer and you came into a world that was had lots of pirates. Let's say that this world really embraced its piracy kind of concept and there were all kinds of pirates and all kinds of shipping covered with islands. The ideal situation, there's a few large oceans, but there's also lots and lots of islands. How would you as a fringeworthy explorer a team go about exploring this kind of a world?
0: You need a boat. <laughs> would, would you, well, okay,
2: it's going to course that you didn't get yourself a puddle jumper and fly and really mess with them.
0: Puddle is need something very important. that probably won't be available in this world. Fuel. <laughs> unless, oh, you, unless you have yeah. one that runs off of ethanol, then you can find ethanol anywhere they can ferment something.
1: Or maybe make one that runs off a of whale oil. I don't
0: know. <laughs> In the uh, later timeline of Frenchworthy,
2: when they have access to nanotechnology and possibly some better cracking small-scale manufacturing or or chemical-type plants, they might be able to make whatever they wanted to out of feedstocks of various kinds. So uh, it's quite possible for them to bring the equipment they needed in order to refuel their vessels. They just have to get access to the feedstocks that they needed. So if you went to one of these worlds, you could bring your own boat. I mean, they will fit through the portal as long as the boat is you know, less than 25 feet wide, and the portal is round, so most boats are roundish. So you probably could bring a sizable boat onto a world if you wanted to do that.
0: You could bring a slip-through. But some stoops are about that size, about that diameter, so to speak. You have to take the mast off to get them through. You could bring a sizable boat through. Wouldn't that just
2: pretty much almost instantly make you a target if you did that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> but do doing having a puddle jumper, too.
2: Except they can't do much to get you in the air unless they have gunpowder and things like that.
0: But they can always shoot up. You know, if they catch you up, they always wait until you land.
1: I think you'd probably be best off getting into the world, feeling it out, and then joining a crew, because it would be easy enough to join a crew.
2: Join a pirate crew or join oh, a yeah. merchant
1: crew? A pirate crew might be kind of hard to get onto right away, but if you put yourself in a high-traffic area, you know, a good, fringe-worthy group could manage to get themselves onto a pirating vessel.
0: Yar. After one night's to drink, they'll be aboard a pirate vessel, I tell you, Right. Well... Okay,
2: Blake, if you wanted to get yourself onto a pirate vessel, what do you think you could offer a pirate that would entice them to do that? Outside of just, I guess, enough gold to, to make it work as well, just not to kill you outright.
1: A good way to make yourself valuable would be through uh, intelligence. That's the one thing that a lot of those people back then would lack, would be some of the advanced skills that you could bring to the table. Now, many of them were great craftsmen, but the ability to, say, read a map and read it very accurately or to know how to navigate the open ocean would be a good way to get onto any ship you wanted to get onto. The geography was the same as it is on Earth, and you knew you were going to go to a place like let's say it's been researched and this is your goal to get on a pirate crew. Someone could train, or the whole party could train, in knowing the geography very well. So then it would be very easy to to get someone to pick you up if you you knew the, the area really well, especially the surrounding islands and such and you would see an aerial photograph so that you would know things that they may not know. You could use that as a bargaining chip to get hired on to any just about any boat.
2: Let's say this was a close alternate to Earth. You, you could use your superior 21st century knowledge of the coastlines and, and things like the ocean currents to actually help you prove your worth to a pirate's crew. Absolutely. My understanding is that pirate crews were actually very egalitarian about who was the captain. They actually voted the captain into his job.
0: It's one of the few pure democracies out there, basically, in most, at least in the Caribbean, most of the crews, they owned the ship. The captain was whoever they, they could find who could get the good ships and lead the crew and get the good booty. From them, if, if he failed, well, if he was lucky, he got put to a boat with, with a pistol and some food and said, see ya. If he wasn't lucky, he was put into the water, maybe in pieces.
1: Oh, you know, that's another thing you could bring. You could bring Sextant with you. They were not cheap in that time.
0: Oh, yeah. Of course, they'd club you over the head for it, though.
1: They might, but if the party was was going to go on a, a mission like this, they would have to have some skill in, uh, say, swordsmanship or show up with some musket pistols as well.
2: I know that one of the ways that non-pirates travel with pirates were people who wrote down their tales and would then Mm -hmm. sell their stories to newspapers and such and the pirates actually would gain in fame and reputation by letting these people travel with them and record their adventures. So a team of explorers, especially if it was a small team, could say, we're here to to see the pirate life and and to to sing your fame in all these newspapers. Maybe make up some false London Times and things like that and say, look, here's an article I wrote. There's no way that the pirates are going to be able to check on this, but they could read in the newspaper that here's this person talking about pirates, and and then this person could say, well, you can see uh, how your name would be spread about the world. All you have to do is allow me to travel with you. It's important for the players to insist that the world is fairly well-researched before they go in and try to interact with the local people. So I think they would have some idea that this was in the 1700s or the 1800s. Who was on the throne of England and who was the president of the United States or what was on the throne of England? So there's a lot of possibilities here.
0: Back then, if it was a newspaper... it wouldn't be the London Times. You were pretty much the person putting up the newspaper yourself. Some of the pirates who were actually well well read would go, Iron, that sounds good.
1: You could get everybody on there as part of the crew. You could you show up with all those different skills. Maybe one of the people in the group specialized in craftsmanship and was good at woodworking or boat building. Maybe even bring his own set of tools with him. Of course, they'd have to be period-style tools or else it would be a little weird might stand out
2: if you have superior tools you can do superior work it could be pitted and look like a, a handcrafted tool but it could actually be the finest carbides
1: yeah sure sure right yeah but it would have to look period at least
2: right you'd slip a laser pointer in your pocket to make sure you get those things perfectly level and, and stuff. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it, i mean you're you're from a 21st century world i mean i'm sure there's ways of working things around
0: your cutlasses are made by the finest swordsmiths in Spain, probably worth more than the boat that you're riding on at the time.
2: Your boots are waterproof and made out of material that can probably turn aside a blade. Again, as we talk about people who get further along the timeline, there's no end of the possibilities of things you could be carrying with you to help you be a better pirate or to travel along with the pirates assuming that there's a reason why you're traveling with the pirates outside of just wanting to see what the life is like and, and and maybe to get to one place or another, to find advanced technology to bring back to Earth. Well, pirates have lore. Pirates have stories. And it may very well be that some pirate may have something stashed in his stash <laughs> that might be of interest to IDET. You might need to travel with that pirate a ways before you can finally find out where his stash is whether there's something worth going after.
0: Are but remember, lad, what do you do then when the pirates fell alongside a ship and they put the crew to death? What do you do then? What do you do then, lad?
2: Are you asking whether or not it would be appropriate for a fringe-worthy team to involve in piracy? Arr, yes. Well, that's a question that all the players have to ask whenever they're engaging in any world. There's a official rules of conduct we referred to as human rights that are established and supported by the U.N. They actually have a list. But it doesn't mean that as an IDET team you fully are subscribing to that. I mean, you're supposed to. I mean, obviously you, you'll get reprimanded if you do things that are against it, but you're out there on, on your own. They're not going to know anything that you guys don't agree to let them know. So I guess it's possible for a team to go pure pirate and engage in some rather uh, unsavory activities if that's what they want to do.
0: That goes back to the images we have from the movies where pirates show up and blow the bejesus out of the uh, ships. For the most part, they just put the flag up the airship went, oh my god, and cut their sails and stopped and waited for the pirates to show up and come on board and take the treasure and leave. Because, as we all know, it's better to, to shear the sheep than kill it.
2: And, of course, those deckhands on those cargo ships are paid so much money that they're willing to sacrifice their lives to protect that cargo, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, especially on the board of Spanish ships. Yes, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Some of them are not even really paid. They wake up on that ship. And we're not even talking about pirate ships. I'm talking about just regular ships.
2: They had what they referred to as press gangs that would knock people out, stuff them into a sack or on the back of a cart. And as you said, they'd wake up at sea. They'd be given a choice of either dying or being kept in chains for the journey or going up and start getting to work on deck. Most people were smart enough to choose the latter.
0: Many a pirate had taken the king's shilling before they came up a pirate. pirates. A lot of pirates were previous British seamen who decided that they didn't like that life anymore.
2: Well, I can understand why they would turn to a life of piracy if they're being so ill-treated.
1: You're listening
0: to the Fringeworthy Podcast.
2: You might actually need a, a small private army for a reason. Pirates are fairly employable in that regard.
1: They make very good mercenaries. So if you need a group of fighters, they'd be a great bunch of people to find.
0: I don't know if they actually would be a good good trust of mercenaries, because they are a bit independent-minded. What's it for me? Well, you'd have to pay them, of course. Yeah, but how much do you have to pay them? Well, we're talking I-debt. Then you might be able to bring along a couple kilos of gold. If black pepper is worth its weight in
2: gold, a couple of metric tons of black pepper could really put you in high society.
0: Not metric tons, I'd say metric kilos of pepper. These you metric you're gonna kill the market.
1: <laughs> that's, that's true.
2: Yeah, I always think it's interesting how so many things that we consider to be cheap and easily affordable today were rare or non-existent back a couple hundred years ago. As example, aluminum. If you had aluminum plates, they would actually be worth more than gold to anybody who recognized them for what they were because it was almost impossible to extract aluminum out of the substances it's normally found in.
0: I think there's at least one crown in Europe, I'm not sure which country, though, that's made out of aluminum. The only way to get aluminum out of bauxite, I think it is? Bauxite is one of the prime sources of it, yes. Hitting it with a couple million volts of electricity is a long, really expensive chemical process.
1: It's a multi-stage process too, isn't it?
2: That's why it's so expensive. You have to refine all those chemicals to use in the process as well as, as the bauxite and, and getting the
0: aluminum. These days, we just simply hit with a couple million electron volts we melt out the flag.
2: So anyways, there's a lot of things that we could offer a pirate. Uh, a good fish finder or sonar could let him see where those bottom shores are, so you make him a more agile ship. Just because he's a pirate and you're a friend, where doesn't mean that you can't eventually get to the point where you can't let him know that you're actually from a higher-tech society.
0: Oh, better the a fish finder or sonar, a pair of high-tech binoculars.
2: Oh yeah, sure.
0: A 40- or 50-part binoculars will beat his spyglass most any day.
2: Oh, how about some ripstop nylon... sails? Sails, yeah. Oh, man.
0: And with his signal of choice.
2: <laughs> or a carbon fiber keel that won't rip it to bits if it runs into a rock. A lot of things that you could offer a pirate. So. Well, or
1: imagine a modern gunpowder versus black powder back then.
0: Better gunpowder, because modern powder is smokeless and actually doesn't work well in cannon.
1: I'll tell you what, smokeless gunpowder would be good in their muskets.
0: Unless it was so powerful it blew them apart.
1: Yeah, of course, you'd have to gauge it properly, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times when when musket battles would break out, you know, once the first volley or two would go off, you couldn't hit anything. Right. Um, You'd have to run in with your swords because you couldn't see anything. It would be this big, giant cloud of smoke. But if you had smokeless...
0: Black Raider Pirate would routinely go into battle with about six or so pistols shoved into various belts and so forth. So you just pull and shoot, pull and shoot, pull and shoot because there was no revolvers. Just giving them a black powder revolver, cult revolver, would make their day.
2: I myself wouldn't be that interested in making the pirate more lethal. I would just, <laughs> I would try to look for things that just might maybe make him survive a little bit longer, which in itself might be enough of a
1: crime. Let's talk a little bit more about what you're doing there. So we figured out ways to get these pirates to take us in and we're traveling with the crew and everything. Okay. So now what? What do we do with that? Honestly, I think the biggest thing that a fringe-worthy traveler would get out of this, an adventurer, would be information about things that we, we don't know about, like pirate society. I mean, we know something about pirate society, but to actually have someone from a modern perspective within the society, you know, writing about it, reporting on it, uh, maybe some of the places that they went, some of the characters that they need, like maybe they run into a Blackbeard. Most of Blackbeard is legend, you know, some of it's true, I'm sure, but I'm sure a lot of it is tainted, you know, with legendary-type status.
0: Blackbeard may have half of it himself.
1: <laughs> That's my point. It would be good as a research project from a historical standpoint. That's the, the biggest benefit I can think of.
2: Right. You could go down to the Galapagos Islands, do some exploration there. They're pretty well preserved now, but there's a lot of opportunity there for some species that might not currently exist. There's a lot of natives that died off because of the various diseases that Europeans and other such people brought to their country. You don't get a good view of them anthropologically. There's always the possibility that Captain Nemo might be on this world, and you might need your pirate crew to go and take out that eel beast in the ocean that have been marauding
0: and taking down everybody's ships. Our Captain Nemo, he be a pirate's pirate.
1: If your party came into this world and they find out about this Captain Nemo figure, it much is for the party to get involved in taking care of this guy because they would have an understanding of this advanced technology and would be able to bring some of it to bear. Because if they have a metal earlogist in the group, he could set to making some superior metal projectiles to get through this steel vessel that they might not have.
2: Or you could have somebody who came to the world from another place. I mean it could just be as simple as a marauding group of fringe travelers who decide to make this world their home base and now they're out being better pirates than the other pirates and supplanting them and you actually get to rally the pirates behind you to go and uh, remove this now despotic advanced-type pirate who's now running around changing the balance of power. And if he's really that terrible, then maybe you would want to stop him, or you might want to join up with him. But it all depends on who they are and, and what they're involved in. Uh, this would be, I think, a good opportunity for the Chileans, for an adventure with the Chileans, where they've come to this world and they say, hey, here's all these people, let's go and let's, you know, let's take over this place. And you go through and because IDET and the Chileans don't get along too well, they say, well, I really don't want them to have a permanent base on this world. So let's go in to help these pirates even the score and maybe encourage them to leave and not set up a base here, or at least marginalize it as much as possible.
0: Hmm. We're talking about Captain Nemo, and this is actually in the D20 book. And Victorian Earth, one of their bases called Atlantis is actually underwater to Dome that that's Melon built for some reason on their world. And it has a sub-pen, no sub, someone took the sub. I wonder who took the sub.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I got that when I was looking through your notes on that submarine pen.
0: I figured that one out. (laughs) So it's quite possible that another frigid came through and found the sub and now he's playing Captain Nemo on Victorian Earth. So you have
2: to rally the pirates because they're probably the most accessible fighting force out there who knows the water, who might be able to lead the Nautilus aground with the aid of some advanced technology that you slip to them. Those air-powered, electrostatically charged rifles and muskets might not be quite the day winners that Nemo originally thought they'd be.
0: Waterproof fuses and uh, large gunpowder bombs. Cut the fuse to the right length light and throw it into the water. Death charges.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I yeah, guess so you could do that. That's actually a good direction to go in. Uh, it'd lead to uh, a really good adventure, and it'd be fairly easy to recruit these pirates because you imagine these guys come through, and they're using advanced technology, and they're just out-competing the other pirates, and it would probably be fairly easy to get a group of them together.
0: Or sinking them.
1: <laughs> or sinking them, Right. Get a group of pirates together and form a counter force to either chase those people off the world or to sink them and, and end their interference.
2: Captain Nemo, was he just attacking naval vessels, uh, uh, the military naval vessels, or was he also attacking uh, cargo vessels?
0: He was, an he was an Indian prince who had lost his family due to the war, and he had built the submarine to take vengeance on those who, who fight wars. So, yes, he was going after naval vessels.
2: In this case, if he was going after cargo vessels and sinking them, well, the pirates are losing their meal ticket. He's sinking the very vessels that they would want to, as you say, shear the sheep, don't kill the sheep. Yep, or know, yep. mm-hmm. They would easily rally behind somebody who said, let's go take this Nemo guy out with his metal narwhal.
1: Now, if he was really using a submarine, it would be very difficult for the group to to take that on. I mean, a submarine against a ship is...
0: Well, if it's Victorian Earth, he's got a Tramellon submarine. Right. So Lord knows what that's like.
1: Probably the best is to try and get on his crew and sabotage it. Trying to take on a submarine in a ship is just ridiculous. I think the majority of deaths in World War I, a lot of times are attributed to disease, but when you look at the numbers, it was actually attributed in the later part of the war to submarines. They would just sink ships like crazy, and the ships had no combat tactics against them
0: preferred method to sink a ship with a submarine? The deck gun. Yeah. Torpedoes back then were, how can we say, less than reliable?
1: Yeah, right, right. But the thing was that the submarine could come up out of nowhere, hit the ship and sink it.
0: And in those early days, submarines back then were more surface specials that could sink and come back up again than they were true submarines. We actually have true submarines now with nuclear submarines because they can actually uh, extract oxygen out of the water directly and they don't have to surface for air. Back in the day, you had to put a snorkel up or you had to surface and get fresh air uh, on your submarine. But even so,
2: you'd have a submarine that was sitting under the water, you know, in a a neutral buoyancy state, and they see a ship coming by, and they would just get right behind it and use their torpedoes, who might have a very poor accuracy, but the fact is they're right behind the ship. So they could just blow the ship up, back away, and the ship goes down. If they were 100 feet away, I don't think they would miss a big ship with their torpedo and still be outside the range of the blast. You're right, Blake, I think that submarines would be a tremendous thing against surface vessels. But that's where you have to bring the equality. That's where your superiority as players and strategy would come into play.
1: Imagine if that's the case, then it would be a little bit no holds barred in your ability to equip another ship. You wouldn't have to worry so much about, you know, upsetting the balance or whatever. You know, you you could feel pretty free to, like, give them whatever you could give them. So imagine this Nemo guy comes up. And, you know, he thinks he's got them, and he fires on the ship, and it bounces off the hull. And he's like, wait a minute. That's not supposed to happen.
2: While that's happening, you guys are using your scuba gear and little scuba jets because you need the big ships to drag out there. But once you're there, you can get into the water, go down. And he says, okay, I've scared them off. And he goes off without realizing you've got some lampreys now on the side of your ship holding on until he gets to port where you let go. He's probably not too far away from port either. Well,
1: it depends on whether you want to do that or not. I mean, you could just put yeah. some limpet mines on there, some shaped charges, and right. that'd be the end of him.
2: It all depends on whether it actually is a terminal vessel. If it is, probably nothing we have, unless we get really further into the timeline, could affect it. We'd have to wait until they let us in. And didn't realize we were there, and we got the advantage of surprise.
1: Right. Okay. That's true.
0: If you are talking Nemo, it's taking place just after the Civil War. So there's potential that there are submarines you can use to go after them with. From the lowly Hunley, which was discovered recently, which is totally man-powered, eight guys inside pushing on a crank, there were some more well-designed submarines. Uh, In fact, one of them was, I believe, designed by the guy who actually gave Jules Verne the idea for the Nautilus. And it actually was another Confederate submarine, which is fairly advanced. It also was an American submarine, which, which you're trying to find. It was also fairly advanced uh, for the time. So you could initially be out there with your pirates aboard a the Pirate Galley, only if the pirate crew is busy on a crank, pushing that submarine through the water, going out Nautilus.
2: Anything's possible. You could have air pirates. They could be in big dirigibles. There's a lot of possibilities here for, for piracy. It could be the classic piracy, or it could be any wild conglomeration you want to name.
0: Actually, I've been working on a bear pirate game. That's something else entirely.
2: There's all kinds of worlds and all kinds of possibilities you can mix together. A big surprise to me until I saw Discovery Channel was there were quite a few famous female pirates. I always heard that there's no way you'd have a female on a pirate vessel because it was bad luck. But in fact, there were a number of female captains, or at least they were high up as first officers in crews on pirate vessels. And Bonnie. Because one of the big problems that I've always run into as a game master is running adventures where people are playing female characters, they come to a world and they're in some kind of society where women don't have an active role outside of nurturing and, and, and running the home. And so the female characters have to address themselves as young boys or something similar in order to pass as men and then be able to play the game and not find themselves relegated into long distance reconnaissance or the person on the arm of the main characters. They lose spotlight time. But a pirate, as a woman, you could be just as much of a pirate as any man could be.
1: You cannot take away the ability to be ruthless from women. They can be just as ruthless as any guy. And some some of the women I've met in my time, they can be even more ruthless.
0: Oh, yeah they make good
1: pirates oh yeah I, i can see it
2: you don't have to go and do the thing saying well on this world women are considered just as good pirates as men which is different from our world when in fact is on our world there were a number of women who became pirates it's just a matter of whether you're willing to embrace the lifestyle the deprivations of being a pirate living on a boat for extended periods and all the issues that go along with being a woman on a pirate vessel surrounded by a bunch of vicious, uh, or at least uh, less than reputable men. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, and let's not forget that the pirate's life is only glamorous in the movies. It's usually it's, a short it's, one. Yeah, it's, it's usually very short. It's very dirty. It's very ruthless. If you think about any of the, the mafia movies, uh, Goodfellas, where guys are getting whacked for no reason, you're going to run into some of that. Maybe not on the, you know, the organized level, organized crime level, but your life expectancy, fighting other ships, but also within your group.
2: That makes sense because, as you said, a lot of these pirates actually came from being brutalized on other vessels. And so they're perfectly willing to live this kind of life because even though it might be brutish and short, the, the possibility of, of gold, the freedom that they have is worth it, even for a short life.
0: Look at the story of Edward Teach, uh, otherwise known as Blackbeard the Pirate. He definitely was the epitome of Burnfast and Dot Young. He also had one of the bigger ships, too. I mean, the Queen Anne's Revenge was a 40-gun frigate, so it was a fairly big ship, which unfortunately he didn't keep very long, because he ended up dying aboard a sloop. Such is the fate of pirates.
2: And because these people were drawn, mostly drawn from all kinds of other vessels and all other kinds of parts of life, you know, pirates could be of any age. They could be young boys. They could be older men. It's not like it is in a modern naval kind of situation where most of them are these 18-year-old, well-muscled guys. Pirates were anything. The other thing you could say they had in common was the incipient alcoholism.
0: (laughs) That was the for the times. If you put a glass of beer next to a glass of water and not tell a difference, which one would you drink?
1: <laughs> I'm drinking the beer.
0: Yeah, same here.
2: <laughs> and I would be drinking the rum because I need something to quiet that tapeworm I've got.
1: Water was quite often the least safest thing that you could drink. Alcohol is kind of sterile because it's alcohol, but it's also because it's processed and cooked. So many times... That's all people drank. There were some people who never drank water.
0: Right.
2: They drank wine or they drank harder alcohol under certain circumstances, you know, and it was it was a good antiseptic. It was a good painkiller. You could clean your weapons with it. There was really no lack of things that alcohol could do for
0: you. And, and in the worst-case scenario, you could always use it to light a torch. There were some places that actually had good, clean water. New York City had good, clean water for most of its history. It had access to some very clean aquifers to get water from. But for the most part, you got your water from a river. And if the river was downstream from a city, you got the city as well.
2: Lots of rivers have lots of parasites in them. Even in these so-called unspoiled areas of the world, especially like Puerto Rico and other places. Historically, that's where yellow fever was endemic and what's called schizosomiasis, which is a, a blood fluke worm that lives inside your bloodstream. It's bad for you.
0: It just makes you want to scream.
2: (laughs) The cure for it is to give you a poison so strong that it almost kills you, but the worm isn't as tough as you are. So after a couple weeks of taking this stuff and wishing you could die, it'll die. Okay? The problem is, is that you turn around and you immediately go outside and get reinfected with it. So they found that certain people, like, for example, some of the natives of Puerto Rico, actually had a a resistance to the effects of this particular thing. And they said, well, you know, until modern day, they said, it's better just to leave it alone because the cure was literally worse than the disease itself. People had a lot of problems with a lot of diseases back in those days. And we're talking now about parasites, which the portal does not remove. It only removes bacteria and viruses. Ooh. Parasites are not removed, so you've got to be careful about that. You could end up with a lot of friends living in a pirate-type community.
0: You could probably come away with a nice little collection of fleas, so you need to be delouched when you get back to the base.
1: And it's no exaggeration. I have a friend of mine, he's lived everywhere, just about it seems like. He spent some time in the Amazon, not a long time. At one point, he had three parasites living in him. Now, mind you, that is the Amazon. But if you imagine, you know, anywhere in the Mediterranean, it can be Amazon-like conditions. You can get all kinds of stuff.
2: But I don't want to make being a pirate seem like it's a bad thing. We love the idea of a pirate because of the freebooting lifestyle. I mean, these people are looking for adventure. They're looking for excitement. Uh, They're looking for gold. They're looking for all the things that most people who came to America were looking for a better life than they had, freedom, you know, being their own person, at least being able to decide when they were going to work and when they weren't. So going to a world that has piracy, unless you're talking about total thugs, which do exist, there's just some really terrible people, just like they are today. There are pirates that are absolutely horrible, but there would still be pirates back then that you could really see as a kindred spirit in the sense of the, what we refer to as rugged individualism.
1: If you're talking about a crew of people who are mostly just cutthroat villains and are not talented, dedicated people, they're not going to be very good pirates. Because as we all know, anything you do in life, if you're a talented, motivated person, you know, you'll do much better at it. So if you hire on or you deal with a successful pirating crew, these are going to be people who are not you know, just completely chaotic murderers these are going to be people who are professionals, so they might have a decent diet and eat properly and, and don't get themselves all messed up, right. going to the wrong places and coming down with the wrong stuff.
0: And the one skill they really need is the good boating skill. I mean, you got to be able to run a ship. If you can't run a ship, you are dead weight. There are no crew on board ship that didn't pull their weight. These guys are sailors first. They're pirates second.
2: They work well together as a crew, so they have to trust each other, at least to a certain extent. The idea of a despotic crew, you know, where the captain is ruling them with an iron thumb and and anybody who dares question his decisions gets thrown off the ship, that captain would not last long. It's a democracy. The captain is voted into power, and everyone trusts the captain, and the captain trusts his crew. So, in many ways, there are very admirable qualities to see in a crew, and so you, as an IDET explorer, would not find yourself totally at odds with them. You might have problems with where in the line of sand to draw your line compared to what they'd be willing to do, but I think you'd still be able to operate with them on a level of if you can show yourself competent, if you show yourself to be an asset to them, then they're not just going to kill you out of hand, and you will be able to interact with them. And it would make for a more interesting adventure uh, as a role-playing game if you can interact with the crew and the captain and such. This is Bruce Shepherd from Atlanta saying, remember, there are millions of worlds out there, so go explore them.
0: This is John from Seattle, and remember, keep your powder dry and keep those cards and layers coming in.
1: And this is Blix. Remember, don't shoot the portals, they shoot back. (laughs) ¶¶